What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Respawn Point Podcast. This is episode seven of the series. Today with me, we have Misha and Matt once again. Hello, hello. What's up, everybody? This episode, it's um, it was a little delayed due to uh, some unforeseen circumstances, unfortunately, but. It's going to be, um, I think it's going to be a great show, personally. We're going to get into Call of Duty. We're going to dive into esports. We're going to get into the finances of what the video game industry is now working on and accomplishing. And, of course, we'll round it out with general um, conversation and news updates and what we're up to in the gaming world. So to start things off, um, you guys obviously saw the... Call of Duty World War Two reveal trailer, right? Yes. Oh yeah. Do you have any general thoughts before we dive into the nitty gritty details? Yeah, I think generally people are excited. I know boots on the ground is something that people have been waiting for for a long time. Uh, personally, I found it a little hard to get too excited, as I thought it was a little reactive um, to Battlefield's announcement of Battlefield One, but. I think all in all, it should be a it should be a good game. My personal opinion, I think it's just about damn time. Like I, me personally, like growing up with Call of Duty, it's always been boots on the ground, and I love like the World War aspect that Call of Duty has always brought. Even like even Medal of Honor, like I was I always grew up on those types of games. So for me to see that coming back in like better graphics and whatnot, like it's it's definitely going to be something that I really look forward to. So it looks great in my opinion. I'm, I'm super stoked. Can't wait for the beta. Yeah, I think it's something that is tangible, something that, you know, we actually understand the events that occurred, unlike games like, uh, you know, like Advanced Warfare, Infinite Warfare, where they're floating around in space and colonizing yeah. planets and whatnot, and it, it kind of relate to it a little more. I agree with both of those of those comments. I think... Um... When I first saw the trailer, I thought, wow, this reminds me a lot of Battlefield 1. And honestly, I think right. the hype for Battlefield 1 and even the trailer production, I think, was better in Battlefield 1. But um, Call of Duty fans, for sure, were super excited. Yeah. I found it a little hard to see past the, the veil of, you know, obviously... They're doing what they can to keep up, but Call of Duty fans seem excited for the for the boots on the ground return. It's definitely got like a positive rating so far, you know, with the trailers and whatnot. Definitely a, a better rating than the last couple of years from the last Call of Duties. Um, so I definitely think that it'll have a good, a way more positive impact in the Call of Duty community and the Call of Duty company in itself. If you're listening to this, and for some reason, you don't know what Call of Duty World War II is, what we're talking about. It's um, pretty much the next entry in the blockbuster shooter franchise of Call of Duty. Um, this game is going to be developed by Sledgehammer Games. Um, in the past, there was always the all, um, altering of uh, Infinity Ward, and then went back to... Um, who was it, Matt? Uh... And... Treyarch. Treyarch, yeah, yeah. So now Sledgehammer is coming in again, working on this game. Um, it's going to take, we talked about before, you know, take players to a variety of historical battle locations set across, you know, the entire uh, Second World War. Um, the trailer, to me, it, I mean, obviously this is just the brief intro and the campaign trailer we won't see the multiplayer aspect until e3 in june mm -hmm. <clears throat> but what i know is that the campaign it will follow the u.s first infantry division as they fight their way across europe yeah so with that you're gonna have missions like the d-day beach landings to you know the battle of the bulge um, and to me, that was that was really exciting when I played Medal of Honor 
Yeah, same. Oh, I was younger. I really like, I agree to that. That mission where you storm the beach. Mm-hmm. It was intense. I think I had to do it. It was. A couple times. Yeah. <clears throat> and also that um, the character that you're going to be is this guy, Private Daniels. Um, so we'll follow him throughout the war. And then actually, there will also be a mission that puts you in the shoes of a woman fighting in the French Resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is your is, yeah? What is your uh, opinion on that? I think that's I think that's really unique. I think that's something that should definitely be added because you know, generally speaking, most of all the Call of Duties have been you know men characters, um, which which makes sense. But I think brings a little bit of uniqueness, something a uh, different point of view to see when playing. And and to add on to when we were talking about the the campaign, I think with this Call of Duty, it's going to bring a lot more people to want to play the campaign um, oh. than our past past Call of Duties, you know, with Infinite Warfare, Advanced Warfare. I don't think, I think everybody just kind of jumps straight to multiplayer um, because that that's where they seek their entertainment, but I think with this Call of Duty coming around, it'll definitely bring people back to wanting to play campaign. Um, because yeah, I remember playing Medal of Honor, you know, Frontline, which I think is the game that had like the the D Day, the beach storming um, uh, mission, and I, that's what I lived to do was play a campaign like that. So I think it'll definitely bring back, in my opinion, it'll bring back people to want to play campaign. I think that's cool, and I, I think it, sh it definitely will shed some light on parts of the war that people didn't really know about. Um, I mean, obviously, women played a large role in, in the Great War, um, and whether it was, you know, the all-female sniper division in the Soviet Union or the women fighting in the French resistance, um, you know, for a long time, and especially back to the first uh, World War II game in the, in the uh, Call of Duty series, you know, you, you don't see that. It's all, you know... Like Normandy and, and like you said, uh, Matt, like uh, just like the traditional you know, all male mm -hmm. uh, involvement. I think in this age of diversity and inclusion, it's, it's important to to you know make that a priority in the yeah, production absolutely. of the game. Right, right. Um, moving along through um, the trailer. Um, I mean, again, it shows all those missions that we talked about before, the beaches, the different historical locations throughout Europe. Um, the guns look really well done. I think mm -hmm. they did a great job with actually looking into the history of the war. Um, I remember sometimes when I played Call of Duty World at War, um, there was a lot of things that, and during the story, that didn't really make sense to me. So I think yeah. this time they've done their homework. They've looked into these battles. They've looked into the weaponry of the time and the uniforms. And I think they're going to make this as perfect as it actually can be for a game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah. so, so uh, let me ask you guys from, from a business perspective, do you think this was the right move? Oh, absolutely. Just, I think Call of Duty's been hurt. I think financially and just bringing in new people to the game, I think bringing a traditional game like this back into the into view is going to bring back a lot more people wanting to play. I think the last couple of Call of Duties that came out that weren't boots on the ground really hurt uh, Call of Duty financially and just in general. I understand that they were like experimenting and, you know, who, who wouldn't want to experiment when you're always playing a traditional boots on the ground but i just think that's just how call of duty should be it should just always be boots on the ground you know it really shouldn't go into this new field of you know flying with jetpacks and i don't know it just kind of i just in my opinion again i just think it took a turn for the worst i think them bringing back this style of game will definitely bring back a lot of people to be wanting to be a part of the call of duty community again i think historically you know they're the sales in the franchise really peak at uh, Modern Warfare 3, I guess what you could really call the last true boots in the ground um, title. Uh, and then we saw kind of a drop off with Black Ops 2. And since then, you know, they haven't really covered. So I, I think as far as reading the, the consumers, 
you know, behavior and, and their perception of the game, I think they made the right move, um, whether or not it, it seemed, you know, reactive to Battlefield's release. But right. um, it was about time. Mm-hmm. I think also we have to keep in mind the um, production time it takes to make video games. Absolutely. So when we had Black Ops um, 3 come out, or excuse me, Advanced Warfare, that was kind of like them pushing for jetpacks. Um, but, you know, a few months into Advanced Warfare, they were already making Black Ops 3. And that had a little bit more positivity to it. And then they're like, okay, well, maybe this uh, jetpack thing isn't too bad. So, you know, they, then they started production on Infinite Warfare. So I think this game is a little bit... I wish it came a little bit sooner, but it makes sense where it is now because, you know, people... They just they couldn't just scrap their entire Black Ops 3 and Infinite Warfare no. ideas because they already spent so much money into those production cycles. Absolutely. Right. And I think... I think with the boots on the ground approach, you know, it's it's a simpler engine. You don't spend as much time, you know, putting work in on, on the gameplay, and, and that's where you can really put the time and effort in on making an immersive, really detailed, really historically accurate, um, you know, really engaging title like World War Two. Yeah, and honestly, though, if the future is not working for you. You've already done three or four modern warfare style games, Ghost mm-hmm. included, and then Black yeah. Ops, and it's like you can't really go much further back than World War Two. Just be, yeah. just for like the the sake of like guns and you know, because who wants to play Call of Duty Civil War? Civil War, where you have the where you have the stock, you have to use a ramrod and. Yeah, it's like that would be really interesting. Even Battlefield <laughs> when they did World War One, that was still like pushing it. They're, that game has like twelve weapons total. Right. So I think if you're gonna do a shooter game, I think World War Two is the furthest you can go back. You know, obviously they say trends are cyclical, so you know this might be hot right now. Who knows? Uh, I'm sure in a couple of years we'll probably see another futuristic title. Um, and I think it kind of goes hand in hand with the state of, you know, the advancement of technology in the real world. I mean, uh, you know, obviously the military and weapons are always advancing. And so who knows what we'll see in a few years. So yeah. Call of Duty VR, I'm sure that's a whole nother topic, but, um, continuing with Call of Duty, um, did you guys see they kind of teased Nazi zombies again? Were you guys ever into zombies at all? Me personally, I'm, I wasn't. No. I think it makes sense because uh, I believe Call of Duty: World at War was the first title that had uh, the zombies, uh, and I remember me and my brother would spend hours and hours playing Nazi zombies. Um, and I think, you know, the the virality of uh, and the in the enjoyment of playing zombies really started with that title. And I think it's right that now that they're making the return back to world war two, uh, you know, I feel like you almost, you almost have to come back with Nazi zombies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that makes sense. We don't like, we don't really know a lot about it. Um, what I know is that it's going to have an original story completely separate from the actual campaign story. Um, I think it's going to be tied along with the Third Reich trying to create an unstoppable army um, in the closing hours of World War II as they kind of knew they were falling. Um, and of course, as expected, it, ter- it goes all terribly wrong and zombies and, and all that stuff. And there's a few teasers online where it kind of points to the Battle of Dunkirk as a potential location. Um, so that'd be cool, I think. <clears throat> yeah definitely and I apologize for those of you that just heard the train going by I'm broken I have to live next to a, a train station you're broken to live on a train but um, 
So when is it coming out? Call of Duty World War II will launch November 3rd. Uh, of course, on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Um, as Matt mentioned before, those who pre-ordered will gain access to the upcoming multiplayer beta. Although, uh, there's also an argument made for playing kind of like the waiting game. But, I don't know. I just, I don't know how I feel about betas anymore. I don't know either, man. I mean... I think it's just more or less for, I don't know, I couldn't even answer to be honest. Yeah, but, um... It incentivizes you to pre-order, uh, that's... Yeah. But, it just, I play a beta, and if it's terrible, then it just, like, ruins my whole mood for the game coming out. I don't want that to happen with this game, because I'm actually pretty excited for it. Yeah, and it's it's not necessarily fun to play a beta, you know. It's you know people catch on to the to the bugs, and like glitches pretty quick, and it's just you're almost better off just waiting until it's out. Yeah, and uh, going into multiplayer, like I said before, also the big reveal isn't coming till E3, which happens in June. Um, but one big new feature that. Um, is coming out is called headquarters it's an all-new social tool um, allowing they they say allowing for creative modes of multiplayer interaction with your friends so from what I've seen it's a lot of like um, destiny's tower if you play destiny or it's kind of like a hub area in uh, World of Warcraft, if you ever played that game as well. Um, either way, it's this is nothing Call of Duty has ever done before. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. The, the producer says, and I quote, Say, for example, you just prestige for the first time. Headquarters is a perfect place to boast and celebrate, especially with a few friends along for the ride. Hmm. So... I don't know what that means. Am I just going to go to the headquarters and I just flash my prestige around? I have no idea. What's the headquarters like? Are you just kicking it? What are you doing? Are you killing people? Yeah, it's just they have a one How's screenshot and it's just an open open field. Looks like kind of like a port. Um, and there's just players everywhere. And it looks like there might be different... Um, like kiosk so I mean maybe that's where you go to buy like your supply drops or like your your skins or something sounds like a, a bit like a my park in NBA exactly maybe there's a shooting range there or something you can try out different guns yeah. <clears throat> I think with the age of social media a lot of um, video game production companies are kind of catching on to the I guess you can't really call it a trend anymore since it's so um, prevalent. Yeah. Uh, and incorporating the sort of social aspects of the games, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, especially with the the demographic that they're you know they're working with, spend so much time and also money. Yeah. Yeah, and then I mean, it, it only makes sense. The next new thing they have for multiplayer is called divisions, and this changes the way you kind of engage with your multiplayer career over the time playing Call of Duty. Um, mm -hmm. It says players can choose from a variety of different divisions, including infantry and armored divisions. Um, these just seem like classes to me, kind of like how Infinite Warfare has um, the different whatever they're called. You know what I'm trying to say? Or like Black Ops 3 has um, the different specialist. This yeah. just, just seems just like a World War II version of specialist. And of mm -hmm. course, they all come with their own individual perks depending on your rank and who you choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so we see them dressing it up and presenting it as something new. Basically, basically the same idea. Yeah, and then the third thing was this thing called War Mode. Um, this multiplayer mode aims, as the producers say, to immerse the player in iconic World War II battles. 
So it sounds to me pretty much like. Did you ever play Battlefield once operations mode? Right. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, so it's like a contextual story inspired by real events is pretty much the drive for each battle. Yeah, it's just like big team matches based off of real life scenarios. Right. It sounds also a bit like uh, Battlefront in the way that you, know, you have huge maps, lots of players, um, throwing them all in and, you know, seeing the result is these big crossfire and everyone playing a different role and all sorts of vehicles and armor and uh, yeah. I don't think that's not necessarily the most popular with with gamers mm. uh, especially in the world of esports it's something that you know a certain uh, segment of the, of the market definitely you know prefers yeah. Matt, did you want to kind of get into like how how do you think Call of Duty World War 2 is going to work when it comes to the world of esports? I don't know, man. I was thinking about that um a couple days now. It it'll be interesting to see how MLG or ESL or Cod World League, whatever the company, I'm sure they'll all pick it up. But um, I don't know. It'll definitely be interesting. I think um, personally, I think I think it'll pop off. I, I really think people will catch on to it. I think. <coughs> I mean, each Call of Duty, you know, game battles has done a really good job of creating uh, a competitive competitive rules. I mean, that's kind of like the biggest thing is just coming up with a rule set, certain maps, and what well, official game modes. Um, but I'm sure if they have like the traditional game modes like capture the flag, domination, search and destroy, then I think, I think it's definitely doable. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not futuristic anymore. There's not going to be yeah, an uplink. Yeah. So I, I think, um, to be honest, I personally think it's it'll be great. I think a lot of people will showcase it, um, or I think a lot of people will show up to the events. I think my only concern is because, like, companies like, uh, I believe, like, I mean, ESL wasn't, like, involved with, like, Call of Duty. There was no, like, COD World League. Back when, like, Call of Duty Black Ops 1 was around or Modern Warfare 2. So it'll be interesting to see um, these companies, like, grasping it and, you know, thinking if this <laughs> is going to be a, a benefit to them financially or not. Yeah, um, We'll definitely have to adapt. I mean, we've definitely yeah. seen all these futuristic. Yeah, so um, it'll be interesting. I it'll be good to see. I mean, I would love to see an event take place. I'm sure they're they'll have events take place. Um, to me personally, I think it will be a lot more entertaining than you know what it is now. And you can even you can even tell from the viewership of like Twitch, for instance, like Call of Duty. MWR or IW don't even make, you know, top 10 in streaming, you know, for a video game stream. That's, like, unheard of, you know, but it's just the fact that, you know, this jetpacking games just really aren't cutting it uh, for Call of Duty specifically. Um, so I, I personally think, it. I think, you know, like, companies like Game Battles or UMG will come up with a rule set and then, you know, ESL or U or COD World League or whatever MLG will you know kind of produce produce that and I think it'll be beneficial. I think it'll definitely people will grasp onto it. I definitely think it'll be entertaining. That's for sure. There will be there will be changes um, yeah. and, and sure. obviously the, the players are going to have to grasp um, the changes when they are playing competitive. Call of Duty when they're playing World War Two. Uh, I think. And, I know. And one... you off. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's just one one other click I wanted to add. I think it'll bring back a lot of old professional players as well. Um, there's a handful of professionals that a lot of people don't even know about that like are complete legends in Call of Duty. Like for instance, like Stainville, Rambo, Assassin. All of these types of players like thrived off like boots in the ground Call of Duties, and you know they they were like star star players and they just disappeared when these um 
you know, Jetpack Games came out and it just wasn't attractive. So I really think it'll bring, you know, big timer fans from Optic. I think it'll bring back a lot of old school players to wanting to compete again, which would be amazing to see. Sorry. Yeah, I suppose Had you could. There. Suppose you could term them the uh, like traditionalists. Uh, you know, the the first person shooters, uh, very old school. Uh, I think, like I said, the players will have to grasp the changes. Uh, I know one thing uh, we had discussed at um, a previous time, Kyle, was the use of scuff controllers uh, and the, the uh, you know, paddles when it comes to, you know, the, these engines where you can use thrusters and jetpacks or, or whatnot. Um, so I, it'll it'll definitely come to some some gameplay uh, especially as far as as it goes with with getting kills i mean in the traditional boots on the ground games uh, you know you aren't able to just escape uh, you aren't just able to, to thrust out of there and you know spin around and whip around and you know get a, like a revenge kill or anything uh, it's basically going to get back to the point where you have to kind of think a little more strategically um really make each each one of your movements and each of your uh, like executions really count, mm -hmm. uh, and so I think it'll be interesting to see how players adjust because I think Call of Duty gameplay has gotten a little reckless. Um, I mean, I know myself in, in these sorts of games where you do have thrusters or, or jetpacks, I tend to be a little more reckless and, and sprint through the whole map and thrust a lot. And uh, I mean, just with with uh, the re-release of Modern Warfare. Uh, you know, it took a, a, a lot to get to get used to that difference in gameplay. Mm -hmm. So, do you think um, Call of Duty game makers, when they're making Call of Duty, they uh, keep in mind the esports aspect of it? Do you think they tailor the Call of Duties now to esports, not just to competitive multiplayer as its own thing? I mean, I think they make it a a big. Uh, priority, but I don't think they just completely ta tailor it to esports. I mean, in general, like the community multiplayer is always going to be superior to esports. Uh, you know, just because you know, average kids, you know, they don't know anything about competitive, just like to get on and shoot things. You know, shoot, shoot virtual people. So, I I do think that they make it a priority, but I don't think they make it like the biggest um, their biggest aspect of how to develop a game. Um, like you were saying earlier, Matt, Call of Duty hasn't had the most profound role in esports as of yet. I mean, a, a lot of the titles that are popular in e professional esports competitions, you know, you won't see Call of Duty on yeah, those lists. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think they have to at least give a nod to the esports community and and the, the expansive esports uh, business and just how. Um, valuable it is, but you know, like Matt said, you can't, you know, make it too much of a priority. Or just like, yeah, the biggest priority in general. Yeah. So, I guess one of my questions to you um, would be: How does Call of Duty become a top-tier competitive game when its audience, um, you know, at any given point, is split across three and sometimes even four iterations of the franchise? Like we, like, we have all these people, you know, us, we grew up playing uh, Call of Duty 3, like, Modern Warfare, and, like, the early games. And then yeah. you have, like, people now who, who, when Modern Warfare Remastered came out, it was their first time playing it. Sometimes people just started at Black Ops 3, the really younger kids. So it's like, yeah. you know, and then also... Call of Duty being on multiple platforms, I think, in my opinion, that kind of hurts them. You know, you have people still playing on, like, last-gen consoles, current-gen consoles, the PC, and even with the new Nintendo Switch coming out, Call of Duty will be released on that as well. Um, you know, I compare this, as you say, to, like, Counter-Strike. It was, yeah. you know, released in 2012, and it's primarily on PC, and it gets so yeah, much attention. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's on console, but it dominates PC. Yeah, and then um, my last thing would be how does it also become 
this top tier competitive game that it's aiming to be when you know there's this divide between players with access to the paid DLC maps and the players without it yeah ah man first of all there's a lot of questions so I'm gonna have to let's just, let's just stick with the, the DLC Break thing it down. like how does Call of Duty expect to become a top tier competitive game if they have just DLC in general that separates players. It's a good point. Um, I think that that sort of element has kind of disrupted the experience. Uh, and you know, like you can't play with a friend that doesn't hasn't uploaded the latest map pack, or you know, you can't use certain guns in, in one map or game mode, but you can in another. Um, down to the pervasiveness of these this DLC and these add-ons within games. I think personally, um, from a financial standpoint, I think it's just another way for companies to, you know, e extract as much money as possible from the, you know, their game. Um, and I think. Um, I was going to say I had a good point. Yeah, I, aside from the finances, though, right. like, what other competitive game do you know has paid DLC? Like right. Counter-Strike, you don't have that. It's just skins where paid upgrades are cosmetic in nature. That's it. And you have, like, League of Legends and Dota and even Overwatch. Overwatch, everything in every DLC is free. They're just updates. A good point, um, and I think perhaps it's because Call of Duty and and its franchise and all of its titles haven't necessarily been positioned as a, a major esports title, um, so they're not maybe they're not focused on becoming uh, the next competitive uh, esports title. Maybe that to them it, it feels like it's very business driven, uh, very concerned with the bottom line, uh, and I think we're starting to see. A trend uh, in, in that uh, speaking into that trend sorry I lost my train of thought <laughs> that's fine I mean it's just companies like Activision see DLC and microtransactions as huge uh, financial incentives and yeah. can you? I mean, would you blame them, Misha? Don't you? Uh, you had some numbers earlier about how much these companies are making. Yeah. So the Wall Street Journal a few weeks ago released a microtransactions and what they call video game add-ons. Uh, to the normal Wall Street Journal reader, they might have passed over it, but to us gamers, obviously, it was big news. Um, and it basically dealt with in the past few years of games including microtransactions uh, within their gameplay and as of last year worldwide spending across all console games was 4.78 billion dollars uh, and is projected to, to exceed 5.2 billion dollars in 2017 in uh, a trend uh, from these companies and it seems like everybody's kind of hopping on Bringing the Kool Aid and you know starting to adopt this, and in fact the the, uh, the five really big game giants Activision, EA, Take Two, Ubisoft, and a few others um, have actually seen their stock prices triple in the past five years, uh, and many of them attribute that to uh, microtransactions. So with that, I you know ask you guys, I mean what. What do we expect from this uh, culture of microtransactions from these companies? Do you think it will continue? Is it good for the experience? Um, how do we see it changing in the next few years? Yeah, it's... Um, DLC is... I mean, I remember back in, like, COD 1. You used to be able to download official map packs that came with, like, eight maps for free. Now, right. in these Call of Duty games, you have to pay... It's like fifteen dollars for four maps, and 
And I guess from a business standpoint, it's it's fine. You're getting extra content that took time for developers to build separately and they're adding into the game. Sure. But in my opinion, if if the game, say the stuff that was free in the last version of the game, now you're charging for it. Like a lot of those day one DLCs, you know, like alternate jerseys and like the EA games right. are like mm-hmm. like that stuff. It kind of gets under my skin because it's not original. It's not new. Yeah. And it's something that's literally on the disc already when I buy it. And you're making me pay $15 just to unlock the coding on my disc. Like it's the content's already there. Just let Do you think it. your frustration, which I think is reflected in a lot of gamers frustrations actually makes them not want to buy the game. I mean, you've bought pretty much every call of duty title that's come out. Yeah. Um, Matt, do you want to um, yeah, talk about ahead, why I gather my thoughts? Um, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't even in keen with the question. Um, it's fine. We what can. Were you saying? What was the question? Do you think that gamers' frustrations with these microtransactions will lead to any change in their behavior as far as buying the game and playing them? and making transactions i mean i think to be honest it's just kind of like the new trend i mean call of duty has been doing microtransactions for quite some time now i mean even um like even like world at war like you had to buy the map packs in order to you know continue playing like multiplayer well that's not true you had to buy the map packs in order just to continue to get in like a decent lobby if you didn't get the map packs you were like limited on like joining lobbies because you know if you didn't have the map then obviously you couldn't play it um to be honest i just think it's the future of how it's just going to be i think call of duty has just found a way for them to um make money another way of making money towards the company and you know they'll come out with new maps and you know it may not be the esport type of player that's going to grasp onto it but i think the average gamer is just going to be okay with that because you know, when you casually play the same maps over and over and over, it does kind of get a little bit tiring, especially if you're not, like, playing competitively. You're just playing just for general fun. So I think with these new maps coming out, yeah, people are willing to spend, you know, X amount of money to get new content. Um, I just kind of think that's the way it is, and I think that's just the way it's going to be. And I think my microtransactions just in general is going to be um, kind of the future of video games and how and how it is. So... Right. I, I, I personally don't have anything against it. I, I think it's smart. I think, you know, I think if you want something new, I think, yeah, you kind of do need to pay for it. That's just kind of the way it is. And to be honest, really nothing is free anymore these days. So especially when it comes to video games. So um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think you're right that this state of, of microtransactions is definitely going to grow. Uh, I mean, obviously not every every title has my tr- microtransactions, but I think yeah. The proof is really in the pudding. Are we saying DLC and microtransactions are the same thing? I, in my mind, they're two different things. I think they are kind of becoming the same thing. I know traditionally, you're right. That's not necessary. Their definitions aren't necessarily the same, but is what with the state of microtransactions, when consumers hear DLC, they're going to assume they're going to be paying for something. Yeah. And then you have oh those pre-order bonuses, right? And then yeah. all that all that fun stuff where you know pre-ordering like a GameStop's only five dollars down, but if you want to pre-order like for Call of Duty World War Two, if you want to play the beta, you have to pre-order it on your system, which is the full sixty or ninety dollars, whatever you pay for it. So, I mean, whatever, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the games that aren't, titles that aren't using 
microtransactions as another revenue stream are pretty much behind. And at some point, I think they're going to catch on that, you know, it's a, it's a way to bolster your revenue by millions of dollars, increase your stock price. Uh, consumers don't really seem to be too frustrated by it enough to the point where they're going to stop playing the game or making the transactions. I mean, just, you know, it the, the microtransactions definitely play in the whole sphere of video games. A small percentage include those microtransactions, and I think the the value of, of, of those transactions just how the game should be adopting it. Do you think? No, I agree. Do you think that um, these companies are given like higher control now that video games are becoming more downloadable and digital? Like, not many people are like renting games anymore or buying them physically with the hopes that they could just trade them in. So now that people are buying them digitally, they're stuck with them forever. Do you think companies are seeing that, and that's kind of why they're pushing out and um, kind of experimenting with what they can and can't get away with when it comes to DLC and microtransactions? I would I would personally assume so. I mean, as a company, you're trying to do everything possible to make sure that you're profiting from something that you've produced. And, you know, especially if you have to wait a whole year before your next product comes out, maybe even two, you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that, you know, money is continuously going into your pocket. So... I'm sure they see that as kind of a downfall with, uh, you know, games getting, you know, downloaded instead of bought. So they're trying to do, again, this is my opinion, um, you know, they're trying to do whatever it takes to make sure that they're continuously making money. And so if DLCs is a popular way of getting money into their pocket, then I absolutely think they're going to continuously, you know, produce that. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, they hold all the power in the situation, like, People aren't going to stop buying the games. I mean, we saw how I remember in, when Black Ops 3 came out, there was sort of like the black market boycott where people weren't making transactions through the black market and buying supply drops um, in an effort to kind of uh, these these microtransactions uh, being included in games. And we saw how long that lasted. And people are still going to line up out the door at GameStop. They're going to line up around the block duty and i don't think anything's going to change anytime soon unless you know consumers all decide at once that they're not going to buy the game what about um like do you ever think that developers are being pushed to release more and more unfinished games you know like oh you didn't meet the deadline for your game no problem you know like we'll release it We'll just release it, you know, later and charge twenty for it, or better yet, here's this yearly pass for DLC content that will only cost you a hundred dollars. In my experience, especially working at GameStop before, um, a lot of games coming out seem, or that have come out, seem unfinished to me. And do you think DLC plays a part in that aspect? That's the motivation behind DLC, but I think. It definitely helps the companies as far as if they are behind, you know, they can release uh, a half-developed game and a bit later. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There's, you know, to wrap up our conversation on DLC and microtransactions, um, there certainly is a time and place for microtransaction in DLC. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to continue to happen. It's, these things aren't going to go away because they are so lucrative, as Misha mentioned the, with the Wall Street uh, Journal article. And CEOs and developers are going to see this as business plans. And obviously, they're successful and people buy into them people like supply drops people like opening crates in different games for that yeah. to get that rare item um, it's much why casinos and slot machines are still around it's the same same thing mm-hmm. 
Um, but with that, do you guys have any um, gaming buzz that you guys kind of ran into the past week or maybe two weeks now that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, what with, uh, you know, all the the re-releases, the one that comes to mind recently was you know, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Uh, I think we've started to see a lot more games being re-released on uh, modern consoles. Um, one that Sony announced earlier in April uh, that they would be re-releasing was the Jack and Daxter franchise. If you who don't uh, remember or aren't familiar with Jack and Daxter, uh, it was a kind of fantasy, almost starting with the second Jack and Daxter game, uh, open world uh, environment as opposed to Call of Duty where you're shooting people on the street or hijacking cars, uh, but it was always a lot of fun to play. Uh, and I know personally for me, it was a big part of my childhood. Um, so that's one that I'm really excited about. And I think games that you wish would be re-released on, on modern consoles. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I certainly play Jack and Dexter a lot, uh, PS2 for sure. Um, they also said that they would have Jack X Combat Racing which was previously available only on PS2, will also be available as a digital download on the PS4. Um, so I'm, I'm always excited to see classic games come to the latest generation of consoles. And for those who are still satisfied with the Jack and Dexter collection that came out on PS3, um, this might be a good reboot for you to um, consider. But personally, I think I think when you asked if like what classic games would I like to see come back um, I don't know if I can even think of any to be honest I don't know if I really can't either if any stick with me enough to make man I wish I could play that again I think um, I like the nostalgic feel of classic games coming back to the you're coming to the new consoles but much like playing an old game that you haven't played before watching a movie that you haven't seen since you were a kid there's something about it when you watch it now or play it now that's just like it just doesn't seem as good as when you remember playing it um, well if our, our listeners have any games that they are adamant should be re-released on your generation of consoles, feel free to tweet us at uh, our podcast uh, and share your ideas with us. Uh, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Of course, we're always open to um, <clears throat> listener questions, comments, opinions, or pretty much any anything in general. Um, we'll talk about if you want us to. Any other gaming buzz that you guys have in your minds? Me personally, no. I mean, Call of Duty was my biggest one. Call of Duty was your biggest one? Yeah. Um, uh, just a few like headlines that I saw briefly over the past week was... Where is it? Um... So the president of 2K Games, Christoph Hartman, he's leaving the company. I don't know if that's going to affect the future 2K Games labels and how that's going to work out. I'm sure everything's fine, but usually when a president of a company leaves, there's a lot of other internal adjustments that are made. So hopefully that doesn't affect anything. Um... And sticking with 2K, NBA 2K has just announced an esports league, which will be starting next season. Really? About time. Yep, 17 NBA teams will will field you know five person esports teams. Yeah, so it's. It's not like you would think where you have a bunch of teams playing 2K 
competitively. This is where the actual the NBA, the National Basketball Association, and 2K have partnered up to make this um, this league, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I the, think yeah, we've the, definitely seen the past few months and past few years teams coming out and, and buying esports teams, and it seems like it's been for a reason. Yeah, so if you, like for example, Team Dignitas, if you've heard of them. Dignitas? Yeah, they, uh, they're they owned by the 76ers. So that's the 76ers esports team for 2K. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how all that works out. Very true. One interesting piece I also saw come across my feed uh, this week was a new study that said that there's little evidence that links violent video games to the causation of crime. So with that, kids, keep playing your violent video games. To your grand thoughts of the world. Exactly. Well, with that, I think that's uh, definitely going to be a wrap the show. We're um, pushing almost an hour for today's episode. So that was, that was a good conversation. Yeah, so again, make sure you subscribe on iTunes if you're listening on iTunes or if you're on SoundCloud. Uh, make sure you definitely leave a like. Um, and then, again, always follow the Twitter. You can find us again at Respawn Point, which is at RP Podcast Live. And for that, that's going to be the end of our show. We'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah. See you later. Thanks a lot, everybody.